You're listening to The First 15 Minutes, a podcast where we watch the first 15 minutes of a movie we've never seen before, and then we guess what happens next. You're listening to The First Episode. I'm your host, Nick Morgulis. My guest today is a very excellent person in my life, very creative, and a person that I have a lot of great memories with. Grant Dufferin, welcome to the show. Thank you, Nick. Thank you for that introduction. It's a pleasure to be on. Is this the first episode? It sure is. Oh, what an honor. I didn't realize this was the first episode. Numero uno. Episode Adin. Very cool. So let's just get into it. But before we do that... Do you just want to do a little quick introduction to the audience? I can do it for you if you are feeling coy. Um, I'm not feeling very coy right now, so I guess I'll do my own introduction. My name is Grant. Um, I'm a, Like Nick, I'm a filmmaker, and we like to do films. And um, I have a YouTube channel called 3GI. Um, a lot of good projects on there. Um, one that Nick and I worked on together is Shrek Retold. It's a retelling of Shrek. If you like Shrek and you like to see different versions of Shreks, then check it out. How was that for an introduction? That was really good. Maybe I'll go a little bit deeper into Shrek Retold. It's the full Shrek 1 movie made by over 200 different people, you know, uh, different groups making, you know, two-minute scenes, one-minute scenes from the movie, and it's all combined together by Mastermind behind the scenes, Grant, you. And, yeah, it's a wonderful project that took the internet by storm a year ago or however long ago you posted it and has, I don't know, three million views by now and um, really changed the landscape of crowdsourced films crowdsource so, that was the word i should have used and i should also say that we do shrek fest every year which is a celebration of shrek uh nick I, we do it in madison nick comes up um and we just get a hotel room and have a a very wild time i was actually just talking <laughs> Wait, to Moses. shrek fest shrek fest doesn't happen in a hotel room no to be clear <laughs> <laughs> it's a big festival that we do, but I was just talking to Moses and talking about all the weird, uh, how fucking crazy that always is. What a crazy time of watch, the year it always is. You can Google, um, maybe go, yeah, go to Google, that's G-O-O-G-L-E dot com. <laughs> You'll see a long kind of rectangular box, like kind of like a, a ruler, and you can type in Shrek Fest. And you'll get uh, the videos that I filmed and that Grant edited, and you'll get a kind of a really great perspective on what Shrek Fest really is. Exactly. And uh, Grant uh, also, you know, is a prolific editor and kind of creative genius. So you should check out his website. Oh three. Um, please don't interrupt. Three gi dot com. <laughs> It's a wild, mind-bending, mind-blending, gender-bending website that you've never seen before. And yeah, you can watch all of their things there. And uh, yeah, it just ha- you know, has 
I don't know, 100 funny videos that you can just do a deep dive. And um, just to kind of put a, a stamp on this, it is March 25th, 2020. The world is in the midst of a global pandemic. Yeah. Sounds a little bit wild to even say that out loud, but that's the facts. I'm hiding away in an upstate house. I live in Brooklyn, but I drove four hours north, escaped the city with my wife and sister-in-law, and now we are uh, hiding. Not hiding. Uh, we're Basically, uh, yeah, to, I, I'd say we're all hiding, hiding from, from the virus. From, yeah, hiding from the virus, but really we're just keep hiding from other people that could potentially give us the virus. So I've just figured New York is going to be a military state and uh, things are going to get bad. So, yeah. But uh, <clears throat> so that is, uh, you know, we are speaking during this. So if you're hearing this in a, in a burned out car on a, on a cell phone that you just found in the year 2100, or if you're in a space station in the future, thank you so much for listening. If the Earth still exists, that's great. If the United States of America still exists, that's fantastic. If not, I really appreciate you listening to this. So yeah, future listeners in either the present or the future, I yeah, thank you for your patronage. Now we were talking about this earlier. Do you really think New York's going to dissolve into a police state? No, I mean, I hope not. I just know that there's 8 million people very close to each other and there's a lot of uh, economic disparity. I, I would guess that many people do not have a huge savings account and uh, that uh, if people are running out of food and things might get bad. But who knows? Yes, yeah, there's getting... a lot of food out there. Just yesterday I got a text... Um... And I, it's like one of those texts that you get, like Amber Alert, where your phone makes a like a beeping noise, yeah. and um, it says a statewide stay at home. Did you did you get that, or is that just a Wisconsin thing? I, it's pretty much being rolled out probably everywhere. You know, as yeah. of March twenty fifth, New York State has half of all the COVID nineteen cases in the United States, and New York City has one third. So we are at the epicenter. We were not the first ones. I believe Washington State was the first one to have it. But uh, yeah, you know, I think uh, the next two weeks, the next three weeks, we will be seeing what happens. I think, you know, we're talking about the curve or, you know, whatever. Yeah, things are going to get bad in the next two weeks. Our president is doing a terrible job. Oh, controlling the situation. Yeah, we don't want to do too bad, but I think um, if you support the president, you should fucking die. But I am not. Just so everyone knows, I, I, yeah, and I can't even edit that out because I, I refuse to. I think that I, I refuse to edit this podcast. I just want it to be perfect every single time. And unless, of course, the guest says something they don't want to say. But at this point, if you think he's doing a great job, you need to really reconsider what you believe in. He's putting money over people, over human lives. If you go on Indeed.com, a job posting, job search website, I shit you not, there are jobs available 
for people to decontaminate mass graves. So there are oh people God. already planning. There are companies already planning on how to deal with all of the bodies that they will have to dispose of and keep in a place where it cannot expose other people to the uh, whatever the virus. So the world is seeing something that we haven't seen in a long time and got really far off track, but it's really what's going on. And no, I don't think anyone supporting Donald Trump should die. Of course, I don't believe that. I'm a humanist at heart. Kurt Vonnegut Jr., the author, uh, put me onto it. And it's just the idea that you can't look to God or uh, God. Sure, God could exist, but you have to at least give some credit to humans because you open your eyes that's really the only thing in front of us there's you know there may be a god but it's he's invisible he works in mysterious ways if he does maybe there's an energy you know there's a lot of spiritual people i i'm not an atheist i'm not even agnostic i believe in people i love people i believe that we have so much power i know that we have so much uh potential you know we, uh, you know we only use a certain percentage of our brain everyone's heard that i think People possess everything in this world, and if we were just kind to each other and lived up to our abilities and created a society that allowed people to live up to their potential, everyone would be a lot happier. I feel like the society that we live in now is much different than any other version of human civilization that we've ever lived in. And of course, you know, we lived like animals. We uh, fought each other for survival. We eliminated every other subspecies of human. That's why we exist. And, uh, you know, it's all about survival. It's about, uh, you know, taking care of yourself and getting food and, you know, you know, hunter-gatherers switch to farmers. And, you know, we, we have always been evolving and changing. But at this point, we have kind of the safety of, of a society with buildings and electricity and an infrastructure that allows us to have more choices and more options in life and we are somehow I believe ruled by a, a, a system that allows a lot of freedom for us which is great I love living I, I wouldn't choose any other time in history to live other than this one I think it's beautiful because 200 years ago life was a lot more difficult and in 200 years from now life will be nothing like what we experience now we will have AI automation we won't know what to do with all of the people on this planet. We'll have overpopulation. And it'll be very much like the movie Idiocracy. So if you haven't seen it, check that out. Uh, wow. Hope I have not given anyone a negative opinion about myself with my strong opinions. I'm just here talking to a friend and hope you agree with some things. You don't have to agree with everything I'm saying, but I think it's fair and I think it's uh, healthy to listen to other people's opinions and to form your own opinions uh, well Grant, put yeah so the concept okay so Grant and I we went to a college called Ringling College of Art and Design in Sarasota Florida Grant acted was the main character in a movie that I directed my senior year of college I my goal was to make a feature film on the side, outside of school, my senior year of college, thought that would give me a leg up in the industry. And 
We made a movie, shot it about maybe 12, 13, 14 days, maybe 15 days over the span of two, three months, and did it for almost no money, just a few thousand dollars from a credit card I got. And it, the movie's called Peter the Great. It was not a feature film. It was only about 50 minutes long. But I really love that movie, and it's also available on YouTube. You can search maybe Nick Morgulis, uh, Peter the Great. So, that, you know, I love that movie. Grant, thanks so much for being in that. That was about 10 years ago that you of did course. it. Of course. That was eight, fun. Eight years ago. That was a lot of fun. It was. It was about a young Russian immigrant, moves here with uh, his mom and younger brother and uncle, and has to be the man of the house and has to make a living, but he doesn't know how to. So he gets involved with these kind of shady, shady guys who resell crappy cars and they give him a car as a loan and then he needs to pay them back, but he can't sell the car. So when he tries to give it back to them, they don't want the car, they want the money. You know, and then things get pretty bad for our, our main character. But, so Grant and I, uh, we've done a lot of great projects that I'm really proud of. Some of the things that I'm probably most proud of uh, I've done with Grant, we did, I DP'd and produced a web series called The Real Stephen Blatt, directed and starring Justin Long. It's on funnyordie.com, The Real Stephen Blatt. And that has, I don't know, 20, 30 million views, all edited by the other person on this podcast, Grant Dufferin. He really shaped that show and made it what it is, and I'm very proud of that. Uh, because I did a good job, and because Grant did a great job, Justin liked working with us, and I just wrapped a movie three weeks ago with Justin called The Lady of the Manor, his directorial debut with his brother Christian, a movie that I also produced and DP'd, and that's a movie with movie stars. So, Are you allowed to talk uh, about that? Yeah, I can't go into specifics about budget oh, okay. or plot or, or distributors, but... Yeah, we we made the movie, and uh, it's all thanks to our hard work, and also at the end of the day, that you did a great job editing it is is, is really what took it to the next level. So thank you. Oh, I've I didn't never... edit the new this new project. I'm not involved. No, the real Stephen Blatt. Oh, the real gotcha. Stephen Blatt. If we didn't, if we had not done a good job on that project, Justin would have never wanted to work with me again. Gotcha. I still got. A, I want to send him a Shrekfest hat. Send Christian a hat too. Two hats. Two hats for two boys. So there's this, oh, there's, a, there's an amazing piece of merch that Grant sells on 3gi.com. It's the word Shrekfest, but it's in the logo. To, it looks like a, a copy of the Seinfeld logo, which is an oval, a yellow oval with red letters. And it looks from far away like the word Seinfeld, but it really says Shrekfest. Yeah, and, you, you designed that. Or I think that was... When I was visiting you at in New York, and we were at a bar, right? And we are just drinking, and then yep. you said you should do Shrekfest as Seinfeld? Yep. Yep. That's awesome. Uh, on a funny... Speaking of Seinfeld, uh, Justin would do this... Not like fawning over, but he would do the... He's a funny guy, and uh, on set, he would always say, Okay. Like if you say... Arno goes, I know. So it's like, hey, do you, we need to do this. He goes, I know. And that's, that's a Seinfeld thing. Oh, is it? So I've been saying, I know, for about f six weeks now. I thought that was Stephen Brule. I know. Oh, what? 
Are you serious? No, I think it's Seinfeld. Maybe. Oh, okay. Because I know, know. Justin likes. He quoted um, Steve Brule to me a lot. He really liked that, and Steve Brule always goes, "I know." Well, maybe it's Brule took it from. I'm Jerry. sure that's a lot of things. Just the the idea of somebody say, "I know," when they definitely didn't know is really funny. <laughs> yeah. Oh, you're right. Yeah, he does. I'm drinking. Uh, if anyone's curious what that slip smacking sound was, that's me drinking. What am I drinking? It is lemongrass ginger tea that oh. I was given by one of the cast members of the movie as a sign of appreciation for my wonderful work. And I'm drinking it out of a mug with a Gauguin painting. And it says the Art Institute of Chicago. But I'm okay. drinking blood orange, carrot, ginger, uh, probiotic tea, health aid, kombucha, kombaka, kombucha. I'm sorry, you broke up a little bit. All I heard you say was I'm drinking blood and pee. <laughs> it's kombucha. How do you say it? Kombaka? Kom- you know, it's kombucha. 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 You got that booch. It's blood orange, hey. carrot, and ginger. I love this stuff. I get hey, different Nancy. flavors, but they all kind of taste the same. Bring me some booch. Thing. Well, it's got. Um, <clears throat> you should actually start making your own kombucha. You should. Uh, it's like you you put it in a big jar, and then it's got that uh, like gooey mushroom crust growing on the top. Yeah, that. Part's we'll talk about it. We'll talk about it offline. Oh, you you know about it? Okay. Well, I mean. When I take it out of the fridge, I can see there's like kind of stuff floating in it. I kind of give it a swirl to break it up. Oh, I think we should be, it's 20 minutes too late, but um, I think we should be warning the audience that this is an explicit, this is explicit content. We may be cursing. We might have some radical opinions. You don't, and, you don't uh, need to give people a warning about cussing. I, all podcasts got cussing in it. You just have to, it has to have a little explicit next to the, next to the episode. <clears throat> yeah, I guess they'll see it. I'll, I'll mark it as explicit. It's actually kind of cool. It makes people think, oh shit, they're like bad boys or something. <laughs> we didn't say anything bad so far, I feel like. I said that I did, uh, yeah, I, I said that 50% of the U.S. population should die. So, <clears throat> In reference to supporters of the present, I don't feel that way. I love human beings, even flawed human beings. So, yeah. Well, I and, think oh, 100% Dr- of humans should die. <laughs> Inevitably, yes. I don't think anyone should live forever because life would, you know, not be so as precious. We wouldn't really appreciate it as much. <clears throat> I, uh, there's a George Carlin quote that I think of often says, uh, imagine how stupid the average person is. Now, m- think about that half of the population is stupider than that person. That gives me a lot to think about. Um, and there's also another quote about stupid people. Um, I'm sort of like an elitist. I only hang out with smart people. But it says... Uh, Oh, don't waste your time arguing with a stupid person because they will drag you down and beat you with experience. Oh, that's a classic. So, yeah, that's a like what a wonderful put down to someone who's arguing with you. Like that's a that's how you get out of an internet, like a Facebook argument. You just give them a George Carlin meme. 
about stupid people. Okay. <clears throat> well, I think that the best was a way is just to avoid those. If somebody disagrees, <laughs> this is what I do. If somebody like on Facebook specifically says something where it's baiting for an argument, I'll just react to their comment with like a surprised face or like a sad face or something. Um, I think that just diffuses any potential conflict and it, it, it can be interpreted anyway. I have a friend named Danny Congos from the prolific rock band Congos, K O N G O S. Oh, this guy's and, name dropping all podcasts long. And he. Remember on Facebook, people used to post things like, I can't even right now. Yeah. Or, or so mad, so mad right now. And, and it, once again, they're just seeking attention. And he would actually go for it. He'd say, oh, wow, what's happening? Tell me about it. And that's clearly not what they want. They do not want to be explaining that. Oh, yeah, they just want to vent. They just want to vent. So mad right now? I don't have a lot <clears throat> okay. on my Facebook. My Facebook is pretty tailored to me where it's just like deep fried memes and stuff. Yeah, this is like, this is Facebook 2015. That was a tamer okay. landscape. So... Welcome to the first episode of The First 15 Minutes. So Grant and I, in the last hour, we both just watched As Good As It Gets, starring Helen Hunt, Jack Jack Nicholson, Cuba Gooding Jr., and a fourth guy, I'm forgetting his name. Kind of looks like Rob Lowe, but he's not oh, Rob I Lowe. I thought that was Rob oh, Lowe. Greg, oh, Greg Kinnear. Greg Kinnear. What, what else has he been in? Because he's so familiar, yet I... A lot. Like, what, would, and what in the, was he in that I would know? Uh, a lot of 80s, 90s movies, I believe. But he, he was my favorite actor in the first 15 minutes, I, I've got to say. I, I was immediately drawn to him. He, he's, he's got a charismatic... Uh, ways I want to like him I want to be friends with him he's a great actor so the idea is that we watch the first 15 minutes of a movie and then we guess what the rest of the plot is we are both filmmakers so hopefully that helps us at least thinking about story structure in our minds and and I'll be taking notes Grant if you want just like what we what we have decided and I think we just need to keep building you know, building onto what we've already decided will be the next step, you know, the next plot point. For sure. So let's, uh, oh, it's also the movie's uh, shot by a, a well-known DP. I'm forgetting his name now, but um, it's also, if I'm not mistaken, directed and produced by James L. Brooks. Let me just, you might hear me typing. Let me just double check that I'm correct as goof as it gets. Good as it gets. Oh yeah, James L. Brooks, perfect. Also written by James L. Brooks, along with another screenwriter. Two screenwriters. Okay, so <clears throat> let's just kind of talk about what we saw and establish the first kind of points of the movie and the you know the the bones, the bones that we have to work with. What did we learn that we'll use for the rest of the this kind of brainstorming session on what else happens just imagine we 
received these first 15 pages of the, of the script or, and someone said, here, finish, finish it. I need you to finish it based on what I've given you. So do you want to start with, uh, I've been talking a lot. So do you want to start with what you saw and then maybe I'll, and I took some notes, I'll go into what I saw. Yeah, I'll um, just kind of walk the audience through what we saw in the first 15 minutes. It starts out in, I'm assuming, New York, um, in an apartment building. And um, there was an elderly woman leaving her apartment in a very good mood. And just the sight of Jack Nicholson brought a frown to her face. And she actually hid in her apartment. So right, this is like the first minute. Right off the bat, you know that this guy, he's no good. People don't want to be near him. And he's trying to lure a dog into a elevator and um the dog keeps lifting its leg as if it was going to pee which i was impressed with they got that dog trained um, that imagine... was amazing animal acting yeah yeah good animal acting and um that dog which most certainly is dead by now um is picked up by jack nicholson and thrown into a garbage disposal after it starts peeing and oh, did, when it started peeing, no, no, not a, not a gar- garbage disposal uh, sh- uh, cuts things up. This is a garbage chute. Yeah, garbage chute. Sorry, um, which was really brutal. What a brutal way to start a movie where a dog gets put in a chute and then it cuts to black and you just hear it going bow, 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 banging along this metal track, and the dog's like barking. Um, but also the dog, he picks up the dog and it starts peeing, and the pee is like it looks like it's coming out of a tube that's hidden in his glove. So it looks exactly. like Jack Nicholson's finger is peeing while he's holding this dog, but it, you're, the dog's supposed to be peeing through, you know, as part of the story, the dog's peeing. Jack Nicholson's very upset with this dog. He throws in the garbage disposal, or sorry, the garbage chute, because um, they must be up on a high floor. And then a neighbor comes out, played by not Rob Lowe or uh, Greg George Kinnear. Lowe. Or what? Rob, Rob Lowe, but not Rob Lowe, Greg Kinnear. Greg Kinnear and his boyfriend, um, which I'm a, I'm deducing that that's his boyfriend, um, Robert Downey Jr. Uh, oh my God, Cuba Gooding Jr. Cuba Gooding Jr. and um, and then I, I realized, oh, that's not Jack Nicholson's dog. That's his neighbor's dog. He just threw his neighbor dog out, and his neighbor's like, you know, um, hey Jack, where's my dog? And he's like, oh, I didn't see a dog. I didn't see a dog. And he um takes refuge in his um, apartment and um, the two homosexual neighbors go back to their apartment. It looks like they're having a party. And then somebody else in the uh, apartment building played by Bill Murray's brother um, finds the dog, gives it back to, um, I'm just going to call him Rob Lowe. I cannot remember his name. Gives it back to Rob Lowe and he starts kissing the dog. And then, uh, my, fav- my favorite line in that fir- first 15 minutes is, he says, where'd you find my dog? And he says, oh, I found him in the garbage room eating diaper shit. And uh, that was just <laughs> and, a And Rob Lowe was moment. letting the dog lick his mouth. He, the dog was licking his lips as he's saying, as he gets, receives this information. <laughs> yeah. Uh, so 
that is that was like the first 10 minutes and then we follow oh i forgot the confrontation jack nicholson it's revealed that he's an author as he's in his apartment in solitude working on a novel narrating it out loud so we could hear that he is writing a novel about two people falling in love he's writing dialogue it's getting steamy and he's getting to the part where he's going love is this love is that love is love is and he's trying to find the next word and i think they're using that as character development where jack himself is not sure what love is um so it's it's a good assumption to think that this movie is about love um because i i would dare say that every movie is about love in some way and then agreed rob comes to the door he's pretty sure jack threw his dog in that shoot so he's banging on the door it breaks jack's converse uh concentration and he comes to the door and he's like what do you want and he's yelling at him um and then rob loses all confidence um and basically kind of weasels his way out of that confrontation where he he came in there thinking he's going to yell at jack for um throwing his dog out but then he kind of ends up backing away with his tail between his legs but his boyfriend cuba gooding jr comes to the rescue and grabs jack and oh, i i forgot jack nicholson did some said very racist things before all this um yeah i'll, I'll get into that when i break it down yeah, when he when he initially asks where my dog, and then Jack says, "Oh, the colored guy might have took it." You can you can explain that whole that whole that makes it. Re- this is obviously the main character, but it makes it really hard to. That that's a bold move, just making your main character blatantly racist. But that's that's there are people like that that exist in the world, and movies need to explore all people. Um, so, anyways, Cuba Gooding Juniors, or sorry, Cuba Gooding Junior confronts jack and he's like listen i know it was you that threw that dog in the shoot don't fucking mess around and then jack starts screaming for help help assault and battery it a black guy is assaulting me he says stuff like that to just further um enforce his racist views and then jack nicholson goes to a restaurant and there's uh, some people sitting at a table that i guess he likes to sit at and he says to the wait staff you know there's some jews at my table and they all roll his eyes. They apparently know who he, what, who he is, what he's all about. He's a He brings everybody grief and misery. And he goes to the table and says, how long are you going to be? And then he, what does he say? He's like, are you going to, something he's, about their goes, nose are your is ap- big. He goes, are your app, yeah, because he wants them to leave. He goes, are your app, I guess your appetites aren't as big as your nose is. Oh. And, and then that they, offends them and then they, they just leave, they run away. They yeah, they get up and the they run for it, which is probably a good call. And then um, Helen Hunt um apparently he's the only waitress that will um serve him um and then jack nicholson makes a comment about helen's son uh which really offends helen and she says don't you ever talk about my son again you understand and then jack now we see jack on the other end of the spectrum where he's like oh i shouldn't have said that and he says yeah i understand but there's like 30 seconds of Jack just like looking down, looking to the side, briefly making eye contact. But you can tell like this is the one human that he kind of has respect for and will 
will kind of back down in a in a confrontation like that. And then we follow Helen back to her apartment. She's making out with a dude. And this that was when I... It's, it's hard to tell exactly when you reach 15 sec, uh, minutes on Netflix, but that's when I booked it, is when they started kissing. Is that when you stopped watching? Yeah, yeah, yeah. Her She went on a date with like a... With a guy and um yeah they start kissing on the couch and that was 15 minutes so i stopped it right there and she sleeps on the couch because i guess her sick son well, sleeps in the bedroom and she, she's a waitress lives in a one, one bedroom so there's not two bedrooms yeah and like the, the date didn't seem to be going well he seemed like he was nerdy and she uh, she was like laughing at him when he was trying to make out with her or something he's like a tall nerdy handsome guy a tall, nerdy, handsome guy. That's I just described you. Oh, thank you. You want to make out? Thanks. Yep. All right. <clears throat> so, do you want to um, elaborate on yeah. Jack Nicholson's racist tendencies in this film, as well as any totally. other details I might have missed? I felt like I did a good job. You did a very good job. So I'll, I'll just I, I made some kind of uh, bullet points as I was watching it, things to discuss, things that kind of. Uh, grab my attention. Okay, so yeah, in the first two minutes, Jack Nicholson kills a dog. <laughs> you know, uh, that I mean, a hundred percent. He, I just assumed he killed the dog because it, you know, uh, gra- I know how gravity works. If something falls straight down, of uh, you know, if if one floor is ten feet and we could hear it falling, I don't know, for five seconds, it's probably falling. I don't know, twenty, thirty, forty. No, probably thirty, forty, fifty feet at least. Well, and if I it think lands it into. I think the way those shoots are designed is it's go, it plops down an incline, goes down, plops on another incline. It kind of zigzags down because I think. Oh. It it sh- it would just be too dangerous to have a shoot in a facility like that where it falls straight down for potentially like eight floors. You're right. So I do know how gravity works, but I don't know how shoots work. But I agree that you know, that would kill the dog, though. If it landed in an empty garbage container that was metal, but if it landed on top of soft garbage or baby diaper shit, as it is in the movie, yeah, it survived. So, <clears throat> so he kills the dog. In my, I'm watching the movie. Okay, he kills a dog. Then Rob Lowe is like, hey, did you see my dog? And he's like, no, the colored guy with the broad nose probably took it. And then he, under his breath, is doing like a really bad... African American impression, voice impression. Uh, you also see that he's, he has OCD. Um, he's racist. Uh, oh yeah, and then when Rob Lowe is like, "Hey, please, uh, did you see my dog the second time?" Oh no, he's like, "Hey, did you throw my dog down the chute?" He basically says, "Don't ever, don't ever, 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 ever bother me while I'm at home. Even if you hear a thud, like I fell down, and then a week later you smell a, a stench as if my body's decomposing. Don't." risk it don't even ever you know uh try to knock on my door again even if uh you're excited it's election night and and uh your your favorite guy has been elected and we have a queer fudge packer president that you're very excited about do not knock on my door and once again this movie is 1997 oh he also says yeah about the there's jews at my table so it's 1997 when this movie was made pre 911 Pre, this kind of uh, what's the world? Right, the uh, what's how would you describe kind of the world we live in, where you can't, you know, when you say things like that, you get can- cancel culture. What do you call it? Um, Politically correct. 
yeah, this the politically correct kind of society that we live in, which I think is great. Not, I well, mean, you not, can not still do that. You can still write that kind of stuff into movies, but because the whole idea is that he's an unlikable character. You know what I mean? They're not saying yeah. like, oh, he's right for being racist. There's look, they're saying, look how awful he is. You're right. That is the goal, and I believe James L. Brooks is probably Jewish too, but maybe not. I don't. But you know, in this day and age, if it wasn't if it wasn't a-list movie stars like Helen Hunt, Greg Kinnear, and Jack Nicholson in this movie, a lot of people would just discredit and discount this movie. I think, you know, social keyboard warriors would want to drag a person like this out into the street and shoot them in the back of the head because, you know, they, they think that people like this don't deserve to live. People that are this racist, this angry, and, uh, you know, I don't I don't believe that. I think... There's redemption for all of us, but uh, yeah, I think if this movie came out now, I, I'm re- I'm really curious how it, people would respond to it. Maybe you're listening now and you're going, "No, Nick, of course a movie like this would be okay because he changes in the end, and it's all about it's all about changing." But all I'm saying is that face value, he murders a dog, calls Cuba Gooding Jr. colored, calls a gay person a fudge packer, and tells Jews that their noses are big. So I'm just saying that a lot, a lot happened. In the, oh, and he also tells a woman with a sick son that he's going to die. So, yeah, a fairly unlikable character, but that's the whole point. You know, that's the whole point. These are professional expert filmmakers and screenwriters. That is the goal. That's why they put all of these unlikable characteristics into the script and, and made Jack Nicholson start at the bottom so that he can rise up and I, and I think he probably, I don't, I don't know what happens. Do you think he f- falls in love with Helen Hunt? I don't think so because he's so much older. Um, uh, and it just doesn't seem like a good fit. But I think she, she probably doesn't. is the teacher in this, in this story. Teaches him. Oh, yeah. He probably falls in love with another lady. And then she is like the one that coaches him. Like he's got a little... Uh, earpiece and he's on a date and she's like say this then say that type that, of thing that could be I really don't have any guesses but also with your synopsis you brought up a great point that I totally forgot about that he's OCD they make great they, they put a lot of attention into that attribute yeah I agree and, and I'm so sorry there's a house being built next door if people can hear that humming I'm so embarrassed I'm so sorry I, I'm not in a studio, and uh, I'm seeing now that if, if that's really loud for you, that's going to be maybe unbearable. I, I, I really hope it's not that loud for you. Well, I can't hear You sound perfectly clear to me, but I know we're, you have a different mic setup than what I'm I, I feel to. like Jack Nichols. I feel like I'm going to be that character. I'm going to run out, and I'm going to say, You're gonna say shut that racist. fucking machine off. Get that fucking tractor. Turn it off. I'm going to steal the keys, throw them in the gutter. Don't you know I'm doing the first fucking episode of my podcast? <laughs> they say, oh, I'm sorry, sir, I didn't realize. Uh, they have a contract. They, they have to finish on time. <sighs> okay. <clears throat> so that's, that's what happens. That's what happens in the first 15 minutes. We've established a character that's not very likable. He's going to have some sort of redemption in the future. You think so? Oh my so. god, they keep messing with that tractor. Okay, it's 
It's like he's revving the engine just to mess with me. Okay. So, Grant, let me just quickly go through what a th- traditional three-act structure in a movie is. There is the beginning. This is act one. There's a beginning, something to hook the audience. Then there's an inciting incident. Then there's what's called second thoughts. Oh, it's them wondering whether they should pursue this thing. Then climax of act one. That's one third of the movie approximately. Then act two, there's an obstacle and then another obstacle. This is called ascending action. Then a midpoint. There's got to be a big twist, according to this graph that I'm looking at, a big twist in the midpoint, then another obstacle, then disaster. That's called the all is lost moment in uh, Joseph Campbell's hero's journey. Then there's a crisis. Then the climax of act two, that's, uh, you know, hero's journey. That's defeat. That's fighting the dragon. That's defeating the dragon. And then the climax of act three, and then things start descending down. And then there's a wrap up. And an end, and I think we don't really have to stick to the whole thing, but at least let's try to break it up into first act, second act, third act. Well, how far do you think we watched? Uh, I don't think we saw the inciting incident yet. We saw the beginning, and then the inciting incident, I am assuming, is he meets the lady that he wants to fall in love with, or will, but at first he hates her. And then she probably has a dog... And he has to pretend to like the dog. But he t- that is probably exactly what happens. He's like, oh, I love dogs. When we saw 20 minutes ago that he literally tried to kill a dog. And then they do a date um, that's really messy. A really messy date, yeah. And then, and then oh yeah, he's, all, he's OCD. And he eat, it's, there, there's like a wild scene. He's, he opens up his... Um, this is this actually happened. He opens up his uh, medicine cabinet and is like behind the mirror in his bathroom, and he's got about fifty fresh bars of soap in the box, and he washes his hands with scalding hot water, and he keeps going hot, 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 and he uses I think three bars of soap because he only uses them for about five seconds and then throws them out. So he's a germaphobe. He's a germaphobe with OCD. I think he's more. Yeah, he's more of a germaphobe than than OCD. But that well, could be he, both. Well, he also was. They showed him. He locked his. He locked and unlocked his door a certain amount of times. Oh he, yeah, like, he clicks light switches. Yeah, when he walks in a room, he clicks the lights on five times. Goes one, two, three, four, five, up and down, up and down. You're right. Yeah, and he's burning his hands. I mean, that that's a debilitating uh, mental illness. Uh, I think a lot of people have varying degrees of OCD. I've certain OCD tendencies. I like to tap the tops of doorways as I walk by. I like to click my teeth, like sometimes if I'm driving. And uh, I don't, certain superstitions I've had to teach myself to not worry about. Like um, my grandma taught me that if, if like a broom or like anything with like a stick on it falls over, like if a broom falls down, and hits the floor, someone in your family will die. Oh my god! And she said that she said that it ha- she dropped a broom, and then the next day her dad died. And I, for my whole life, like, was like aware of that. Is that true? I mean, <laughs> I ho- I don't think so. I've dropped a lot of brooms, and no one died. Immediately. 
<clears throat> but when I do drop a broom, I go, oh, shit, I fucked up really bad. I'm pretty sure. Sh- Even though I'm that's good so at, irrational. Uh, yeah, I'm pretty good at not being superstitious. It's such a waste of time, yeah. I actually go out of my way to do things that are conventionally unlucky. Yeah, I almost I thought about tattooing the number 13 on myself just to kind of prove that I'm I'm bigger than any superstition. Moses is really superstitious. I hope he doesn't mind me saying that. Moses Laredo's one of our coolest, smartest friends. He's a he's a genius in disguise. Moses is wild as hell. Wild AF. Oh, okay, so <clears throat> okay, so what happens? Okay, so we saw Helen Hunt kissing. Oh, you know what happens? Remember how she had the sick kid? Guess what? She's about to have like a successful bangarang session and the kid probably like turns the lights on and he's like, <coughs> Mom? Mom? That's probably like exactly about his, what happens. My medicine. Uh, and, oh, you know, also what? when she was at the restaurant, we, are, we actually watched this. When she was at the restaurant, she's telling her other servers, her coworkers, that she's going on this big date. And they're, they're like give, lending her money. And get one woman gives her earrings to wear for the date. And then she goes, you know, my son, he's so cute. He said, Mom, I promise not to get sick or get a cough while you're on your big date. And it's like, that was kind of cringy, but like, <clears throat> it does a good job of showing that she really loves her son and that he's like sick. So yeah, it probably, it probably shows that, um, you know, she lives in the, li- she sleeps in a living room. Uh, this kid is like not letting her get, you know, be romantic with this tall, handsome, nerdy guy. And he's like, and she's like, oh, wait, let me put the kid away and then, and then we can keep going. And he's like, no, it's okay. I'll just, uh, we'll just pick this up next time and then i bet they never see each other again yeah that the the guy she was on a date with i think was just uh for that scene exactly yeah so she so the next day she goes back to work and they're like oh how's the big date and she's like oh it was great but you know she doesn't want to admit that you know that um the son screwed up her session Sex session. I I don't think she Sex minds because she didn't seem that into that dude. Oh, she, oh, is that true? Yeah, she was laughing at him. Oh, I thought she was like oh, whatever. I thought she was into it, but <clears throat> okay. So that happens. Okay, then Jack Nicholson comes back because he's OCD and he he only eats at that restaurant. I think, and probably sits at the same table. That's why he wanted to sit at the table where the Jewish people were sitting, and he probably orders the same food. BLT, no mayo, no crust, uh, you know, one tomato only, no, you know, water, no ice, no, you know. Oh, he, he brought plastic silverware with him in a plastic bag. Um, yeah, so they probably start talking again. And there's, there's definitely got to be a B story with uh, Greg Lowe, Greg Kinnear, Rob Lowe, yeah. and Cuba Gooding Jr. Yeah. The, yeah, the neighbors. They, the neighbors kind of dominated those first fifteen minutes, so they most likely play a big part. Hmm. So, okay, what would be the inciting incident? We we guess that maybe he falls in love with someone else, and then Helen Hunt has to help him 
uh, win that person's affection. And I bet you Helen Hunt also finds someone and they probably help each other like, yeah, they probably help each other with each other's like dating thing. And then clearly he was right. He was having trouble writing his romance novel at the beginning. So as soon as he like really finds love, he probably gets very good at writing the romance novel. Of course. But but then clearly he's going to have a huge heartbreak at the end. And that's going to like sidetrack the novel. I bet, you know what? I bet he burns the book. He probably destroys the novel. He probably throws his computer out the window. He's so distraught. But that's, I think that's act two or, yeah, that's later in act two. But, um, okay, so the inciting incident, he pro okay. Well, he probably attacks someone because he's racist and he goes to jail. And then while he's in jail, he probably says a lot of racist things to people in the jail. So he's probably constantly getting beat up. It's just an endless cycle of this old, this old man just being just beat up just every day. He can't, he can't sleep. He can't do anything. Just, just all these guys just beating the shit out of him every day. And, uh, you know, he, Helen Hunt probably goes to the jail, you know, to talk to him through the phone. And he's like, you gotta get me out of here. You gotta get the, there's germs everywhere. And they're, these animals, there's animals in here. And, uh, and she's like, I'm, I don't have any money. I'm just like a server. I'm just like a single mom with a sick kid. And I, I let me, let me get Rob Lowe to help. So she goes to Rob Lowe and she's like, Hey, I know you're. I know you're his neighbor. He, he, oh no, he goes, go, go to my neighbor. He, he'll, he'll, he's got money. Cause he's like, a, he's an artist. And Cuba Gooding Jr. was an art dealer. This is real. This is what really happens. And she's like, hey, um, you know, Gary or whatever, whatever his name is. Jack Nicholson, he's in jail. And they're like, oh, uh, duh. Obviously like, you know, that makes sense. He's a terrible piece of shit. And but they're just like, okay, but I need money to bail him out. And they're like, we're not doing that. She's like, he's going to die in there. He's going to die. He's getting beat up every day. Like, you should see his face. His face is just just hamburger meat. He goes, okay. And Cuba Gooding Jr. seems like a good guy in, in the beginning. So he's like, all right, let me – I just sold a painting and, you know, we'll, we'll take the money and let, let's go bail him out. So they, they go bail him out and – the audience would assume that he'd be appreciative of this, but I, but he probably isn't. He probably says something rude to them as they're getting out of the cab in front of their apartment, and and they're like, "Oh, we should have never helped you. You know, you're you're back to your old ways, Jack." These are okay, really so, grand assumptions. So that's probably that's how the act one ends. I don't know. What do you think? Um, I, I, I don't even have any good guesses. I like where you're going with it. Well, I think that, I mean, I, if I was to guess, I think that is what happens in the movie. You think he goes to jail? <laughs> well, let's just, let's just roll with it, Grant. I think at the end of the day, this is, this is like a comedy podcast, I would say. So, All right. yeah, so Jack Nicholson, um goes to jail for one of the new laws that did not exist in 1997 but maybe were were being loosely enforced he he 
what is it? He, he commits a hate crime, I assume. <clears throat> and yeah, and gets sent to jail and then gets uh, bailed out. He still has a court date coming up, so he's trying to he's trying to uh, you know get a lawyer. He probably fires his first lawyer for being Jewish. Then Helen Hunt wants to help him, and then her kid dies. Her kid dies, and she's like so upset. Oh, he comes in to eat. And he and and she's crying and and he's like, uh, can I get uh, can I sit down? Will you seat me? And she's like, I need I need a minute. And he goes, I'm hungry. I always eat at twelve fifty five. And she's like, Oh my god! Like, can I have a minute? Like, I need a minute. He's like, What is it? Your damn sick kid again? And she's like, He, he's dead. Yeah. And then that goes. What did your that's... kid die? And then she doesn't say nothing. She just runs out crying. Yeah. Okay. So that's the climax of Act One. Of Act so One. He... Yeah. No, I guess the climax of Act One is him going to jail and getting bailed out, and then the first obstacle in the ascending action is him losing his only friend by kind of rubbing it in that her son is dead. So, so he chases after her, but he's much older, so he can't keep up. Um. He, I guess, I don't know. He probably comes back the next day and she, and she has to work. You know, she's got to pay for the funeral and she's a single mom in, in one of the most expensive cities in the world. So she's got to go back to work the next day, I think. And he's there and he's like, listen, I'm really sorry about what I said and, uh, you know, my, my condolences. And she's like, yeah, it's okay. You know, life happens and... You know, he was sick for a long time, so so at least he's not suffering anymore. And uh, he goes, yeah, you know, yeah. Um, and then I think he goes to the funeral, and he probably brings Rob Lowe and Cuba Gooding Jr. Or no, they just show up because they met her one time. And since they're movie stars and they're like main characters, they probably should be at the funeral. So they're there, and they kind of all get together maybe after the funeral they go out drinking and they probably hatch some sort of scheme all together it's like the f- the four of them scheme for what bringing the kid back well, to I life. don't know <laughs> yeah I think you're right <laughs> so, so, so I think <laughs> that's what this movie is actually about <laughs> and as good as it gets this is this is where the title comes in so they, they're drunk. They're drunk, and they go back to the cemetery. Why are they drunk? <laughs> well, they were at the bar. They were at the bar drinking. Oh, I thought they were at a funeral. No, they were at the funeral, and then they go to a bar and get drunk, all the, the four of them. They're grieving. Don't forget. You're forgetting that they're grieving. Of course. And a lot of people turn to drugs and alcohol when they're upset. So, <clears throat> you know you know what she goes? She goes, I, you know, I just wish he was here with us. It, it, you know, if only there was a way. And Cuba Gooding Jr., he goes, I might know a way. And then cut to them getting dropped off at a cemetery in New York City. And I get, yeah. And then all the four of them, with their bare hands, they dig six feet 
Oh, the, I get the soil is still loose. Still, oh, and this is where Jack Nicholson has to get over his OCD and cleanliness issue. Ex- he's got to dig <laughs> yeah. with his bare hands in the mud. Yeah. They're like, yeah, he's just sitting there and he's uncomfortable. And they're like, aren't you going to help us? And he's like, oh, well, I don't really want to get, uh, you know how many germs live in that? There's probably worms and centipedes. And they're like, she's like, Jack. Yeah. Like he's we like, bailed you out of jail. You owe us one. You owe us one. So they get in there, they, they, they get the, you know, it's hours. The sun is, as the, so it's, they've been there for like five, six, seven, eight hours. The sun is rising. It's like a really beautiful shot, maybe like a big crane shot. And um, yeah, the sun is rising. They, they finally exhume the body. And I think it kind of, beca- uh, what's that movie where um, the two college kids like try to um, carry that dead body around and pr- Play it oh, off Weekend at Bernie's. Like, yeah, so it becomes kind of like a, there's like a Weekend at Bernie's scene. Not, you know, not not for the rest of the movie, but at least just to get him back home. Yeah, like maybe to... there's four of them. So each, each the two of them could have a hand each, and then two of them could have the legs. <laughs> or what if they're on two double bikes, like the bikes with two seats? So they're on, they're on, they have two of those bikes. And oh no, wait, I'm sorry, there's five people total. So it's one bike with five seats. <laughs> <laughs> and the kid his hands are duct taped to the handles, his feet are taped to the the uh the spokes. And yeah, they're cruising through town. Yep. And there's gotta be like an homage to other New York movies. So like a uh, a cat they're trying to cross the street and a cab slams on the brakes. And Jack Nicholson pounds on him and goes, Can't you see I'm riding my bike here with my grandson? And exactly. uh, yeah, so they get home. They get home and um, so they're like, All right, Cuba, like what did you <laughs> what did you have in mind? And also it'd be, it'd be funny if at the bar he was like, I might <laughs> I might know a way, but he never actually explains it and they all just go along with it. Like he doesn't actually <laughs> They get this far into it, and then they're finally like, "Okay, so what? What did you have in mind?" He's like, "He's like, well, I read about this thing, so I get. I this is. I, I actually don't know too much about how to bring people back to life, so um, I'm not really sure what the right way to do it is. But let's think about how they could potentially do it. And once again, this is a this movie probably had you know budget of twenty million dollars." So, you know, whatever <clears throat> practical or special effects would be possible and whatever, you know, they probably, whatever research they needed to do, they probably were, were able to do that. So they get, they get the kid home. They say, yeah, okay, he's, Cuba, he's, what's the plan? And he goes, what plan? And they go, Cuba. <laughs> and then Cuba remembers, or no, Cuba gets, gets, uh, he's an art collector and there's this ancient yeah. book that somebody is looking to sell, or or maybe it's in his collection, or maybe they're in his apartment. And they're like, Cuba, we did all this work and you have a plan. And then somebody exasperated puts their hands on their head. They're like, Oh, now we're gonna do. And then they bump into his art collection, and a book falls off the shelf. And Cuba goes, Hey, be careful with that. That thing's thirteen thousand years old. And they're like, Well, what is it? He's like, This is the Necronomicon. It's the yeah, book he's like, of the oh, dead. it's nothing. 
Yeah, he goes, oh, I don't know. It's just some junky book. I don't know. It's like about spirits or something. Like he, he, like he doubts it, but it's the audience clearly knows. They're like, no, guys, that's that's the book you need. Yeah. So they flip it. They, you know, you get a cool shot where it's, the camera's really low and it's looking at all their faces, and they kind of all huddle in. And then somebody, of course, blows. And all the dust flies, and the dust flies in the camera. When it's a cool transition, where now the camera's like bird's eye view down at the book, slowly descending onto the book as they're opening it up. You're kind of looking past their heads as they're all looking down at it. The camera descends yeah. and slowly rotates, and you're you're seeing all these cool, like creepy illustrations as they're flipping through it. And then maybe you know you start smash cutting to some some of the like more horrific illustrations that are in this book and maybe like satanic imagery is like starting to flash basically you know like i don't think this is a good idea you should not be looking at this book um and then they reach a spell of course that's uh a necromancy or a, a necro what is it called necrophilia mm, okay keep going um <clears throat> They start. They start uh, seeing spells of reanimating corpses, and they go, "This is it." So yeah, so they're all chanting. He goes, "Okay, I think this is the one," because there's an image of like a dead body, and then like a like a second version, kind of on top of it, where it's waking up. It's like it's basically like a picture by picture instructions. So they're like, "Okay, this must be it." Exactly. They're all chanting. They're all chanting in well, Latin or whatever this demonic. Before we get is. to the chanting, may I suggest that there is an ingredient that they have to they have oh. to um, retrieve, and this is an opportunity for an obstacle where they they have a debate where it's like, are we really going to go through with this? Maybe it's like a soul for a soul type deal or some other well, ingredient that would be uh, a challenge to get. That's good, but just so I don't forget, my I was thinking ahead, but I was thinking that they all chant the thing, the incantation, and then it, nothing happens. And they're like, oh, fuck, it didn't work. And then Jack Nicholson throws the boy <laughs> down the garbage chute. <laughs> <laughs> and then the next day, uh, oh, Bill I like that, where they, <laughs> they all start chanting. And then it's like the maybe the music swells, the lights start to flicker, but then nothing. And then just hard cut to Jack Nicholson <laughs> throwing the body in the garbage chute. And then the next day, oh no, yeah. But first, there's like a conversation where like he's like trying to console Helen out, and he's like, "Hey, kid, hey, sport, we did we did our best, but you know, shit, you know, life move, life goes on." But then the next day. Uh, Bill Murray's brother knocks on the door again. He's like, hey, I, uh, is this your kid? Found him in the, uh, in the shoot. Or in the... No, I guess he's... Al- no, he's got to be alive by now. No, oh, he's like... Dude, dude, no, you got it. That's... You read my mind. Bill Murray's brother comes up. He's holding the kid. Um, like, he was holding the but dog. the kid's alive. The kid's alive. Yeah. <laughs> and the mom's like, oh, my God. She's hysterically crying. She's so happy. She's kissing his head stuff. And he's like, where did you find him? And he's like, he's in the garbage chute <laughs> eating diaper shit. <laughs> that's a perfect callback. Oh, man, that's that's perfect. 
and the, it shows the kid and he goes mommy and you can see his brown shit like in between his teeth and he's kissing her yeah he's kissing her and there's all these uh sh- like brown uh lipstick kind of marks <laughs> and she's like thank you jack thank you i uh, or no i guess it's cuba gooding yeah she's like thank you cuba <clears throat> okay but obviously the audience knows you know be careful what you wish for you know some something's gonna something's bad something bad is going to happen or no maybe not maybe the movie just ends and that's how that's no I, I, yeah well i i feel like <laughs> that would be the ending unless there's that's either that's either the ending of the second act or just the ending of the movie um unless there's some I, sort of finale that we have yet to think of where it's like oh wait there's this one more there's one more loose end that needs to be um taken care of and i guess if we did establish that jack nicholson has a, a budding romance which we still have to tie that that would be the loose end where love is blank so what what is the romance how does that get tied no up? i th- i honestly think that this is the the big twist in the middle of act two and then we still need another obstacle a disaster the disaster is where the the dead boy the live dead living dead boy now creates a huge problem. he's basically killing people in the street and they're like oh no like we've unleashed this monster onto into the the city and then why is he why is he killing not- people there's got to be some sort of fine print in the book that they didn't read where like okay he's back but oh now he can yes help. you're right okay so they're all hanging out with him like you know right after bill murray's son, uh, brother brings him in and then as he's like kissing helen hunt he tr- he goes to bite her neck and she's like what billy what huh? and then they have to lock him in the bathroom oh, he's and a then vampire. we can hear like yeah, he's like, dah, 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 dah. like we can hear him trying to escape from the bathroom, and the glass is breaking, and even like the ceramic tub is being like destroyed. And then she goes gets Rob Lowe again, and she's like, "Oh my god, like it worked, but I guess not how we hoped it would." And and then they keep they're all pacing. We got to figure out what to do. And then they call the police, and then when the police show up to open the door, he's gone. He literally he chewed his way through, through the ceiling. There's no window. He chewed through the ceiling, and he's gone. So that's like, everyone's like, "Fuck!" Then they hear on the so she's looking for him, and then they look on the news, and it's like uh, two people attacked in uh, West Fourth Street subway station. And uh, there's, like, shaky VHS... This is 1997, so there's, like, shaky DV cam footage. And it's, you know, it's... uh, Yeah, it's the kid, kid, like, biting people. Uh, So I guess you would call that the disaster or crisis part of Act 2. So so what is the climax? I guess they all suit up. Like, they probably go by guns? Well, I think they need to consult the book. Oh, yes, they go to the book. Oh, yeah. They, of course, of course. They have to go back to the book and to the, figure out, oh, maybe there's another spell to make it, to make him be dead again. Yeah, they got to kill him, but how do you kill a vampire demon? You have to... Um, uh, oh, maybe, maybe it's a, a Jewish spell book, so they have to... 
they have to seek the help help of a rabbi, which might help um, Jack Nicholson get over his um, yeah his racist views towards um, maybe it's a the, it's a black gay rabbi that they that's the only man in New York City that can help them, and so Jack's got to be like, all right, I got to well, seek. I think yeah, there's like a di- there's uh, like a Jewish kind of de- demon called a dibbic. That I've, but okay, yeah. So so he comes back home, and they've all got you know they're all talking to this rabbi Cuba, Rob, and Helen. And he he takes a few steps in. He looks at him. He goes, "Oh hell no!" And wa- turns around and walks out the door. So they have to chase him, and they're like, "Come on, Jack, give it a give it a shot." Like he he can help us. We gotta we gotta trust him. He can help us. Yeah, and he says, and, "What uh, what? Oh, you just don't like him because he's black. He's gay and a rabbi." And he says, nah, I don't like him because he's my father. And it's like, oh, this is where the racism stems from. This is well, where, like, all the hatred Jack stems Nicholson's from. Jack Nicholson's pretty old. Maybe he's his brother. Okay, it's, oh, that's my brother. And then who's and who's goes, this played by? I just want to get, a, like, a, I want to put a face to this um, now. It's Don Cheadle, obviously. Don Cheadle, okay. No, no, it's got to be older. No, it's, 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 of co- it's the guy who's the voice of God. What's his name? Morgan, Morgan Freeman. Freeman? Yeah. Yeah, that works. And then he, and he goes, he goes, hello, Jack. And he goes, hello, Leon. Like this kind of uh, odd couple, like guys who, who have like a bad blood. Night, you know, nice to see you. He goes, yes, very nice to see you too. And, and then. And then he says, uh, he's got to make, have a little quip that, uh, he has to have a little quip that kind of, um, that like kind of hints at some troubled background between them like oh like there was the inheritance when their father passed away was not split fairly he goes i hope you're enjoying the family home leon and he goes i am because it was left to me in the will because you ran away to join the army you know, father always wanted to say goodbye to you, but he never got a chance, Jack. And he says, don't you ever talk about our father. He goes, you were never there. I'm the one that changed his diapers. I'm the one that fed him. I took care of everything. You're over here writing romance novels in the army. And then Jack says, it's better than you. What you're doing, you Fudge packing, uh, Jew, Jew. Uh, don't say it. Then what was the other one? Oh, black, black. Don't you, you molasses colored? What did he say in the movie? Something about molasses. You broad nose molasses. <sighs> I don't know. But dude, this and once is again, perfect. we are literally we are literally quoting what Jack Nicholson said. Yeah, these are um, not our own ideas. So, but then something happens where like the news. Yeah, where they all like. All of a sudden, they hear sirens and stuff, and they're like, "Oh, we got yes. we got to put our differences aside, man. We got it. We got to take care of this. People are dying." Um, yeah, and then Cuba Gooding's like, "Quit acting like a bunch of little spoiled kids, uh, boys." Yeah, but the, I feel like there has to. Be, I don't know why Helen. I feel like there has to be at least hope that they can get the son 
back. I, I, I feel like maybe they brought him back from the dead, but he brought a demon with them. So there has at least needs to be hope that he can be exercised. You know what I mean? I, I think she just wants him to be dead again. That is that is okay. that that is that is funnier than them trying to save him. <laughs> that she turned. They they're, they're trying to kill him now. Yeah, I, I just don't okay. understand. Even comedically, I can't understand how she would be so motivated to now kill him. I feel like she would go into because like, he's ki- he's biting people. Like if think about it, if your son was a murderer and just murdered a lot of people. And I'll imagine there's no justice system. This is 5,000 years ago. Yeah, your, but I feel like she would, she would be in hysterics at this point. Well, she's a really good act. I mean, she's got to keep it together. Okay, so... <laughs> Wait, your so argument Leon, was Leon... that she's a good actress? <laughs> <laughs> I'm kidding. So, okay, so Leon goes, okay, what did you get yourself into? And now this is where... This is where the expert, the hacker, you know, kind of gets into it. There's a little montage, right, of them going through the book and, like, I guess... Oh, it's also 1997, so he's like, let's see what happens online. And then there's, like, 45 seconds of them trying to log in. It's like... Like, trying to log in with a... They're trying to use the internet in 1997 with a dial-up modem. Oh, got it. It could be, like, the scene in uh, Jurassic Park where they, like... They show it all visually. It wouldn't be like how an actual computer looks. It's all like shapes and geometric grids and stuff yes, flying around. Yes, exactly. Yeah, so they do all this and he goes, uh, yeah. And then so Morgan Freeman's like, I'm not going to do a good voice. But he's like, we have to we have to cut his head off. Wait, before they get – how about he's reading how to kill him? They're like, we have to cut his head off with a – and then all of a sudden they get kicked off the internet. And it shows Jack Nicholson is using the phone. And they're like, Jack! <laughs> yeah. <laughs> Yes. Oh, oh for, for the younger message. viewers, you couldn't use the internet and the phone line at the same time. It was one line, and you had to... You, people couldn't call you if you were using the internet. We are only... I'm 34, Grant is 29, and this was our... This is, what, this is how it was. Yeah. Internet was slow. I remember in fifth grade us going to whitehouse.gov. And it was just like a bio of the White House. It was literally not. It was like a blue, navy blue background with a picture of the White House and had like three pages. And one was like, the president lives in the White House. It was built in 1555. I know it wasn't. <clears throat> okay, so. Oh, we got to cut his head off with the. Jack. Okay, that's great. That's a really good. That's a really good uh, moment. And then. Okay, what then what happened? Okay, so do they figure out what it is? They need they need to figure out what it is. They Oh, okay. It's like a it's a it's like a copper sword, like a something made of copper. So they have to break into a into a museum of natural history and steal like a, Ooh, you know, 1000 now, you know, 10,000 year old heist. Now it's basically it's Ocean's 4 because it's them 4 dressing up in disguises. Each one has a different disguise. Like Helen Hunt seduces. She's wearing like a really like short red miniskirt. Oh, and the guard and is the guy go- from before. From? From her date. From the jail? Oh, from the jail. Oh, yeah, from the date. <laughs> from the jail? And- <laughs> what? 
Yeah, he goes, he goes, oh, Jack Nicholson, I thought they'd killed your ass. No, uh, it's, but, the, um, the, maybe the, the, maybe the guy at the front desk is the nerdy guy she dated from before. He's like, oh, I, Helen, how are you? And she's like, good, I was thinking about our she's date. Like, yeah, like maybe we pick this up where my stupid son interrupted us. Yeah. He's like, do you, how do you feel about some quick sex in the bathroom here? He goes, I could lose my job. And she like licks her lips and like we know that he is willing to risk his job, his yeah. livelihood for this. So for he, these, these. he leaves um, the front desk and then quickly the rabbi gets on the computer um, to find out what what is this copper artifact? And no, he's I think hacking. I think they have to. They go to an exhibit. They pretend like they're on a tour. There's a tour guide. Yeah, but I, like, I want another here's... hacking scene where they have to like bring down a security oh. system or something. Oh yeah, yeah, yes. They have to d- dis. Uh, they have to disconnect the security cameras. Oh, of course. So classic. So they probably they, they try to, to to hack something for like five minutes, and then Jack Nicholson like just cuts it with like a cable with scissors. Yeah. He's like, they're like, I can't, we can't hack into it. There's too many, there's too many uh, firewalls. And he goes, did you try elbow grease? And he like just cuts it with scissors. Perfect. Okay, so then, then they're on a tour group. And, the, and, the, and, they, and they don't know exactly which sword is like copper. So they're like trying to ask the, the tour guy. They're like, oh, so like what are these made out of? And she's like, oh, these are bronze. And then... These are silver. These are stone. He's like, well, who who used copper swords? And they're like, oh, that's the Assyrians. He's like, well, well, where would that be? So she like takes them there, and then they have to make it. They have to create a a diversion, a distraction. And I guess Helen Hunt's still kiss, like still having sex with the, this guy because she's not there. And then. Yeah, so they f- they find it, and then you you take it from here. How do they, how do they make it make a create a diversion and steal this? It's like a, and it's got to be big. It's got to well, be a big. Well, everyone everyone's got to use their expertise, and Cuba Gooding Jr.'s expertise is, um, maybe art, art. history. So he keeps distracting yes. the tour guide with questions like, "Oh, I, I you you said this is from the 14th century, but don't those columns look more? Don't, don't those indicate like a 13th?" Uh, century kind of design and he's like oh well I guess you could say and he's like distracting the tour group uh, while uh, Rob is grabbing the keys off his belt or something and um, yes 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 and then they get the keys and they give it to the dog because the dog is small enough to fit in the chute and crawl over to Jack and now Jack has to learn how to be kind to dogs to lure it over to him. He says, here, boy, here, boy. And the dog's not coming. He says, look. And he has a really heartfelt conversation with the dog, and there's, like, music that's really touching, like a piano kind of solo. Yes. And he's like, I know we had our differences Bronze. in the past. I'm sorry I threw you in the garbage chute. Um, but right now, you know, this isn't about you and me. This is about the safety of the world. And then... The, and then um, and then he, uh, and then the dog, you know, comes over to him, or maybe he, or maybe, uh, maybe um, he smells something. He's like, "Oh, what's that stench?" And there's a trash can next to him, and he's like, 
oh, it's a dirty diaper. And he knows that the dog will come to him if he grabs <laughs> yes. that dirty diaper. But he's like, oh, the germs. <laughs> and then on the on his, like, a little earpiece, his brother's like, what are you doing? Like, we're running out of time. What's going on? And Jack's like, oh, I know what I got to do. And he takes the dirty diaper out, opens it up, and then the dog comes running over and starts eating it. And then he takes the keys off the collar. He goes and unlocks the sword. And the rabbi's still on the computer, and he's like, it's the, it's this sword. And he's like, okay, oh, found it. And then he grabs it, and they're like, all right, let's get out of here. So they now have the sword. They're, and they're running out, and at the, around the same time, Helen Hunt comes out with the security guard. His tie is all disheveled, his oh, collar. Yeah. Is loose. He's got uh, lipstick all over his face, and and um, and he's like, "Hey, where are you going with that sword?" And she's like, "Thanks, lover boy." And they all run out, and he, for some reason, doesn't chase them. No, he tries to so chase t- them, but his pants are around his ankles, and he falls. Yes, yes. Okay, that's a good. <laughs> that's good. Yeah, in the security. And just so everyone can imagine, that security guard—he looks like that tall guy from The Office that was creepy. Gabe. Did you ever watch The Office? Well, Gabe. Yes, he looks just like Gabe. Or that's how I'm imagining him. I imagine. Um, okay. I imagine. Well, he's. I imagine he was like more the front desk guy. Um, but there could be security guards oh. that are chasing them. They're going freeze, and uh, so they run out. Gabe tries chasing them. He trips on his pants. And then uh, the security guard comes around the corner and says, "What?" He sees uh, Gabe stands up with you know erection exposed. I assume his pants at his ankles. <laughs> yeah. And the security guard goes freeze, and then like tases him or something or shoots him because he, he you know he thinks that's the guy. He's like, "Oh, it's some kind of weird sex or- pervert. Get him!" <laughs> yes, yes, yeah. They think that all of this commotion is for the guy with the with his pants down and uh, boner up. So now but, they have the copper sword. They're out of the museum. Now, how are we going to track this guy? I feel like the rabbi is so, going to have some expertise that could come in handy. Well, I'm, I'm imagining that there's got to be like a cool like sequence where they're running away. <clears throat> and all these actors are clearly now being played by like very fit, athletic stunt people. So they're wearing <laughs> the same costumes, but they're just like jacked, you know, like gymnasts. And they're, like, jumping over taxis and, like, climbing up, you know, just doing all sorts of kind of parkour. I know this might be a little early for parkour. It's 1997. But, you know, this is kind of the – this is where the world found out about parkour in As Good As It Gets. And so there's, like, a minute or two. There's, like, some, you know, prodigy playing. Smack my bitch up. Smack my bitch up. And they're running from the police. There's a – oh, there's a, there's a cop on a horse chasing them through the street and right and then jack nicholson is cornered and right as he's about to get arrested rob lowe stabs the police officer through the back from the back to the front and he's like we got to get out of here jack don't let it happen again okay and then and then they get on and the then horse. I, then they get out they take the horse and then i think you know Maybe there's some sort of tracking device, like, you know, the 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 rabbi's like, uh, you know, he, the, he didn't by any chance have any gems gemstones on him, did he? And she's like, yeah, he he actually did. He he always wears my my emerald necklace. 
He was buried in my grandmother's emerald necklace. And he goes, uh, Eureka! He goes, uh, don't you know emeralds are the stone of the devil? So he, they, um, I think they, they get another emerald and then they do a spell on the emerald. And now the emerald is sort of a compass. It's like a little, it's like a marble and the marble just starts rolling. That's kind of cool. They do the spell on, on a marble and then the marble just starts going towards the boy. And now it's them chasing a marble through the city and it ends up like in a, in a college dormitory at NYU and this boy has just bitten everybody. There's just, they're just bit people everywhere. All right, so they enter the dormitory, the lights are out, like lights are flickering, there's flies in the air, there's bodies everywhere, blood smeared on the walls, they're cup, they're, have their shirts like over their mouths because it's just overwhelming. And then they're going from room to room, and then they hear like a, you know what I mean? And they, uh, like some scuttling. And then they, yes. they there's like uh, the one room at the end of the hallway where there's like a flickering light in there, and they slowly enter. And then what? Okay, and then um, I think first you see the glow of the eyes. Oh no, Jack Jack pulls out a lighter. And then the reflection of the lighter, the single lighter flame in, in the boy's eyes is what they see first. And it's scary as it's all hell. And he's so scared that he turns that he drops the lighter. And now they're in a dark room, defenseless. And yeah. Cuba Gooding Jr. starts runs and starts trying to swing the sword around. And he goes, I got him! And then when they and then they turned the lights on and he actually killed the rabbi. Oh. No, he kills Rob Lowe. No, yeah, that's yeah, too yeah. he kills the rabbi. No, I I cuz cuz Rob Rob Lowe is his boyfriend. That would be such a terrible way to to wrap up the movie where he kills the person that he loved on accident. So he kills the rabbi and and then Jack Nicholson goes, "Guess who inherited the house now?" Leon, oh and everyone's like, God. "Dude, too soon. That's <laughs> fucking dark. You're fucked up, Jack." He goes, "Eh, whatever." Okay, and then, but he's like, "Give me the sword. Let, let's find that little shit and and put an end to this madness. I've got a romance novel to finish." So uh, they're like, "Fuck, this guy sucks." Okay, and then there's a. I think in this movie, there's a lot of times where people. Jack Nicholson says something, and then people look at each other like, oh, brother. Yeah. You know. Okay, so, so they find him, and then it's, it has to be Helen Hunt that kills the son. So the, the, the kid is there. Maybe Cuba, like, hurts him, but he's not dead. And she's like, he's like, here, you do it. He, and he gives her the sword to, to, like, finish him off. And... She, like, can't do it. She, like, is going to do it, but she can't do it. It's like, oh, you know what it is? It's, it's from, uh, it's George and Lenny from uh, Of Mice and Men. It's, it's George needing, uh, and I'm sorry, yeah, George needing to shoot Lenny in, uh, in the, you know, shoot him. What if the demon starts well, playing tricks, like going, you won't hurt me, will yeah, you, mommy? Yeah, 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 I love you, mommy. I promise I'll be, I'll be good. I'll be good from now on. Yeah, <clears throat> he starts saying, is, I'm sorry, I'm so sick. 
And then she's crying and stuff. <laughs> I promise I won't mess up any of your dates. And uh, then she starts crying. She drops the sword. And, like, this is the moment where, like, oh, they almost had him. But then he gets away. Yep. And then they now th- things get worse. Uh, for some reason, they're running out of time. Maybe at midnight, um, the demon will have full control of the city. Um, he just All got of, away. Yeah. And it's 30 minutes to midnight. And they're like, oh, my God, we almost had him, Helen. Pull yourself together. And they're like, where do you think he's going? And they're like, you know where he's going. He's going to the the Twin Towers, maybe, because it's the tallest no, no, point. No. Okay. Well, I was thinking maybe <clears> – <throat> well, also, ju- just uh, you know, to have the ticking time bomb in the movie, which is a great plot device. It's um, you know, the rabbi, when he was still alive, he goes – you know. Also, don't you know that if uh, if he's still alive, if he's still on this earth, uh, as when the sun rises on Easter, every everybody in this in the in this goddamn in every goddamn cemetery is gonna gonna be just like him. So now think about it. There's about uh, eight billion people on the planet. Maybe seven billion in 1997. Maybe six even. Who knows? <clears throat> That's a um, but how many people have been alive and died in the history of the world? So that's like um, 50 billion people. I don't know. 25 billion. There's going to be 25 billion zombies biting necks. So that's what the, that's the ticking time bomb. Yeah. So they, they got to do it before the sun rises. Yep. And the rabbi might have also hinted while he was alive where he – the demon would be headed that would give him the ultimate advantage yeah it's got to either be a a really tall place or like a very like religious maybe it's like the biggest church in the city there's a historic church in new york it's where george washington went to pray after he was inaugurated as president and there's a lot of um like revolutionary war people uh heroes buried in that cemetery so maybe that's a kind of a fucked up scene where all these like uh revolutionary war zombies start kind of like shuffling or maybe no i think they they have to kill him right they have to kill him just in time just like they kill him and then you see that first little peak of sun on the horizon you know maybe he goes to like the the hospital where all the babies are because he yes. gets ultimate power from dirty diapers. Oh no! Everyone's like, "We don't. Where could he be?" And then Helen Hunt's like, "I know." Cut to they're in the they're like running into a hospital, and and then she goes, she like runs up to her and she goes, "Where do you keep your garbage? Where where, where does the garbage from the the delivery war go?" Or no, custodian, obviously. She has a custodian. And he's like, oh, what? And like, take me to the garbage or I'll kill you. And he's like, okay. okay. And then he takes them. And then, yep, the audience, you know, audience is smart. Audience knew he would be there. So he's there. And he once again, he's like, mommy, like, I'm sorry. And she's like, not this time. And it's, I think it's just epic. I think it's brutal and it's epic. And she just runs in, you know, really d- nice tracking shot, like, from the front, like kind of like Dragon Ball Z, kind of like <clears throat> she's running towards the camera with his sword straight out, and then boom, she you know she stabs him and then cuts his head off, and then she's holding his head up by the hair, 
and then they look out the window and the sun just peeks over the horizon. Yeah. The body turns Jack to ashes. Ni- the body turns to ashes. Jack Nicholson is like furiously washing his hands. Um <clears throat> and then what does someone's gotta have a line here? He Jack Nicholson maybe Jack Nicholson's like um do you have any soap? And they're like, we have this hand sanitizer. And it, he puts out his hand, he's rubbing his hands, he looks at the camera and he says, well, I guess that's as good as it gets. That's perfect. He breaks the fourth wall in the final shot and says the title of the movie. I love it. The, this is... If this was really how the movie went down, I would. This would be my favorite movie of all time. So I'm opening up the Wikipedia. Let's, and I'm just going to read to everyone. Oh yes! Now it's time okay. for the final part of the podcast. Let us know what want... actually happens. Okay. Okay, th- th- let me just read the synopsis first. Okay, As Good As It Gets is a 1997 American romantic comedy film directed by James L. Brooks, who co-wrote it with Mark Andrews. The film stars Jack Nicholson as a misanthropic and obsessive-compulsive novelist, Helen Hunt as a single mother with a chronically ill son, and Greg Kinnear as a gay artist. Um... Nicholson and Hunt won the Academy Award for Best Actor and Best Actress. The The most recent film to win both of the leading awards was 1991 Silence of the Lambs, which is Sigourney Weaver and Anthony Hopkins. Um, okay, okay, plot. Oh, his name was Melvin Udall, not Jack. Okay, one day... Okay, we already saw that. Oh. Oh, shit. Okay. One day, Greg Kinnear is assaulted and nearly killed during a robbery. And Jack Nicholson starts uh, taking care of that dog because Greg Kinnear's in the hospital. And initially, he does not enjoy caring for the dog. He becomes emotionally attached to it. So that's like his hard shell kind of uh, cracking. Okay. He simultaneously receives more attention from Carol, who's Helen Hunt. Um, When Greg Kinnear's released from the hospital, Melvin is unable to cope emotionally with returning the dog. Okay. Then Melvin's life is further altered when Carol decides to work closer to her home in Brooklyn so she can care for her acutely asthmatic son, Spence. Shout out, Spencer Manning. Unable to adjust to another waitress, Melvin arranges through his publisher to pay for her son's considerable medical expenses as long as Carol agrees to return to work. Okay, that's pretty selfish. Okay, he didn't even want... He he had the money the whole time to save her son, but he basically... Did it only so she could be his waitress. Okay, she is overwhelmed at his generosity. Meanwhile, Simon's assault and rehabilitation, coupled with 
Verdol's preference for Melvin causes Simon to lose his creative muse. Oh shit, I think, um, wait, who is Simon? Oh, Melvin is Greg and Simon is, no, Simon is Greg Kinnear and Melvin is, uh, Jack Nicholson. Okay, so I think Cuba Gooding Jr. leaves him. That's kind of fucked up. Okay, Simon, uh, who is Greg Kinnear, is approaching bankruptcy due to his medical bills. He's con- he's con- uh, persuaded to go to Baltimore to ask his estranged parents for money. Oh, they, he's pro- they're probably estranged because he's gay. Okay, uh, because Frank is too busy to take injured Simon to Baltimore himself, Melvin reluctantly agrees to do so. Whoa, so now he's got to leave the city. Frank lends Melvin the use of his Saab 900 convertible for the trip. That's a cool 90s car. Melvin invites Carol to accompany them on the trip to lessen the awkwardness. What awkwardness? That he can't be in a car with a gay guy? Okay. She reluctantly accepts the invitation and relationships among the three developed. So now it's like a road movie buddy comedy. And she's also... Le- her, she has to take care of her sick son, but... Jack Nicholson convinced him to leave her son just so it wouldn't be awkward for him to be on a road trip with a gay guy. Okay. Once in Baltimore, Carol persuades Melvin to take her out to have dinner. Melvin comments during the dinner greatly flatter and subsequently upset Carol and she abruptly leaves. So that's the all is lost moment in the movie, not the dead son attacking people in New York City. Yeah, so okay. far we're uh, wrong. <laughs> yeah, I guess we're wrong. Okay. But it might Simon be, begin. We, there's still hope that, you know, that might pick up in that direction. We'll see. Oh, something nice happens. Okay, so Simon begins to sketch Helen Hunt semi-nude in his hotel room. So that's kind of like the Titanic scene, which rekindles his creativity, and he once again feels a desire to paint. He briefly reconnects with his parents, so that ties, ties that up, but, but is able to tell them that he will be fine. Okay. After returning to New York, Carol tells Melvin, so Helen Hunt tells Jack, that she does not want him in her life anymore. She later regrets her statement and calls to apologize. The relationship between Melvin and Carol remains complicated until Greg Kinnear... Wait, Greg Kinnear moves in with... Jack Nicholson, what? because he had to sell his because he had to sell his apartment because he was bankrupt from the um, hospital bills. So this movie is also a like basically like just a propaganda for Bernie Sanders because Helen Hunt, her whole life is turned upside down because she can't pay for her asthmatic son's stuff, and then also Greg Kinnear, through no fault of his own, is robbed and attacked, and. Even, as a successful artist, he can't even afford to pay his hospital bills, so he has to sell his apartment. Okay. Oh, my... Okay. Um, so, she... Wait. Oh, okay. So, Greg Kinnear persuades Jack Nicholson to declare his love to Helen Hunt. Ja- uh, Jack goes to see Helen Hunt, who is hesitant, but she agrees to try and establish a relationship with him. The film ends with Jack and Helen walking together as he opens the door at an early morning pastry shop for Carol. He realizes that he has stepped on a crack in the pavement, 
but does not seem to mind. Whoa. So he gets over his OCD kind of the way that you were saying. Like he purposely steps on a crack. Or no, he does, but then doesn't mind. So, huh. I didn't, I didn't realize it was a romantic comedy. You didn't? I felt like you, you did realize it was going in that direction. I mean, I knew it, but like I, you know, I didn't want it to be. <laughs> uh, the soundtrack features instrumental pieces composed by Hans Zimmer and other various artists. Oh, and his work was nominated for an Academy Award for Best Original Score. For this film. Box office. Um, it. Uh, whoa. It opened the same time as Titanic. And Tomorrow Never Dies. Uh, a James Bond film. So Titanic and this movie both had a semi-nude. Sketch scene. At the same time. It, it grossed. Um, $148 million domestically. And $314 million worldwide. It's the second highest earning film for Jack Nicholson behind the original Batman where he played the Joker. Um, Okay, uh, film critic Jonathan Rosenbaum wrote that the director James Brooks, in quotes now, manages to do with the characters as they struggle mightily to connect with one another is funny, painful, beautiful, and basically truthful. A triumph for everyone involved. So that's that was good. Uh, okay. I think our well, movie was better. I think our movie was better too. I I I don't. I honestly have no interest in even finishing the movie. Me neither. If it was anything like our movie, then it'd be sick. Yeah. So I feel like we need to make we need to redo the posters for all of these movies to be more like what we imagined. Oh but I guess no. So it's a it's a podcast. So it would be like, uh, I guess, Helen Hunt holding her dead son's severed head on, a, on top of like a pile of corpses as Jack Nicholson like smiles at her. On the top of a pile of dirty diapers. <laughs> yeah, exactly. Um, Grant, it was a, such a pleasure to have you on the show. I appreciate your time. I appreciate your creativity. And do you have any statements for the world, a world that may not exist? Uh, I hope this is the last remaining piece of media um, after the apocalypse that people can listen to this and kind of just enjoy this this tale we've weaved. Yeah, if you're uh, in the Library of Congress, archives floating through space trying to find another planet that can sustain life, thank you very much for picking this to be the most important work of media uh, in the for human civilization i think it pretty much sums up you know what what life is about what human connections are about what uh, you know it's just two cool guys talking to each other having fun and i think that's what we we all should learn from this is <clears throat> just i don't know what yeah i have not i don't know <sighs> grant thank you so much Enjoy the rest of your day, and I will uh, talk to you on the phone in private, uh, maybe tomorrow. That sounds good, man. I'm honored that to be the first guest, and um, I can't wait to re-listen to this and just enjoy this tale.
yeah, so just please do a good job of saving that clip and then just email it to me. You got it, sir. Thank you. Thank you. Bye. Goodbye. Thanks for listening to The First 15 Minutes. I'm your host, Nick Morgulis. If you'd like to check out some of that cool swag, some of that cool merch that Grant has for sale, check out 3gi.com. If you want to check out the film I talked about called Peter the Great, I guess you could just Google Nick Morgulis, Peter the Great. And once again, thank you so much for listening. Please Enjoy future episodes and have a great day. Onward and upward. <laughs>